Hey, this is Scott. Thanks for checking out the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church. Hope it's encouraging for you and helps you take your next steps in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, good to meet you. If I haven't met you already, my name's Scott, and I have a love-hate relationship with my workshop, with my wood shop. I really get recharged as I'm able to work on projects in my garage. Um, it's part of how I refill my tank. But the more I do that, the more junk fills that space. You ever found that to be true? For me, I love being out there. But the problem is, at a certain place, I end up running out of space to do the stuff that I want to do. So this is my thought process. I just need more counter space. I just need more storage space. And so I'll get that counter, I'll get that storage space, and I fill it with more stuff. And I find myself in the same situation all over again. And I end up not being able to do the things that I really want to do. And here's the maxim that kind of I've been integrated into my life is that stuff will expand to fill the space allotted. It will. It's true in your closet. You know, you think we just need more closet space. So somehow you're able to find more closet space and you just end up filling it with more <laughs> stuff. Or how about this one? You just think, I need more vanity space for all of my beauty and healthcare products because it takes some work to keep this all together, I'm just telling you. And so you think, if I just had more vanity space, but what I found is that it just ends up holding more and more stuff, and you end up running out because stuff expands to fill the space allotted. You know, that's not only true for our physical space, but that's also true for our time as well. It's true for our time. We just need more time. I find myself regularly saying, man, if I could just have a few more hours in the day, if I could just have 10 more hours every day, even as I mouth that, I recognize that my logic is quite flawed. Think about it for a moment. Even if, even if God was somehow this Robin Williams-esque genie in a bottle that would grant our wishes, that could alter the structure of the universe to give 10 more hours in the day, what would I do with those hours? Well, what would you do if you had 10 more hours in the day? What would, it, what would you do? Shout it out. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> what else would you do at a certain point you'd fill all this thing? What else would you do? Read, do the laundry, hobbies, what hobbies? There we go, all of those sports, awesome. What else would you do? Go to the beach, maybe go fishing, right? I can think of a hundred different things that I would do as well. I'd practice guitar more. I would finally nail down Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata. I'd start reading Dallas Willard. I would volunteer at my kid's school. I'd cook for the family more. I'd exercise daily. I'd write songs. I'd hike the Appalachian Trail. And then I realize, wait a minute, all of that extra time that I've been given, I've just filled it. And stuff and activities will expand to fill the space allotted. And all of a sudden, I'll find out that I had that time and I did more things with it, but I'm just as frayed, I'm just as exhausted, I'm just as fried and burnt out as I already was. Because whatever you and I might do with that extra time, if we could just get it, we'd end up more exhausted. Now, here's my point. The solution to an over-busy life is not more time. Just like the solution to an overfilled shop is not more storage space. The solution is to redeem the space that I have. 
And so it's the same way for our time. The solution to embrace is, the solution for us is to embrace what God has already given us to simplify our lives around the things that really, really matter. We're in the middle of a series called Redeeming Your Time, and it comes from Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul says this, he says, so don't, he says, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, redeeming your time. Make every moment count. This series, what we're doing is we're considering this new year, how we spend our time, but even more importantly, how did Jesus, who we would say is the author of time, how did he spend his time? How does our Redeemer redeem his time? And we're thinking about five principles about how Jesus lived and then how we can integrate that into our lives as well. And so what I want to do this morning, slightly different flow, but I want to give you the third principle. I want to give you that third principle, then we're going to talk about some theology, and then I want to see how that flows out of Jesus's life. I'm going to give you the principle, talk about some theology, and then look at how that flows out of Jesus's practices. Now, this is the principle, and then we're going to unpack it, is that if we're going to redeem, if we're going to redeem time in the model of our Redeemer, we have to learn that embracing limitations frees us to focus on one thing at a time. Embrace, embracing the limits that we have actually enables us to focus on one thing at a time. Okay, that's the statement. Now, let's go into kind of a layer of theology. I'm going to get a little Bible nerdy on you here today. I don't always do this. You know, I might go like this every once in a while here as we talk about some theology. Now, core to the Christian theology is this concept called the Incarnation. Now, carnation is a flower, incarnation is something different than that, and what it means is this. It means that although religion is our attempt to get to God, Christianity is God's attempt to get to us, and what we celebrate at Christmas time is that God came in the form of a human being so that we can be reconciled to him. God put on flesh, John 1 tells us. He incarnated himself. He's going into the midst of human beings so that he could be clear. He could be accessible so that we can know him. If you've ever wondered that question, can we really know who God is? The answer is yes. And the way that we know that is by looking at the person of Jesus. The way that the Apostle Paul, this early Christian leader, this church planter who hated Christians but then got turned around and started following after Jesus, he said it this way in Philippians chapter 2. He says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And he's talking about how you relate with the world around you, other relationships. Have the mind of Christ, who being in very nature God, he was God the Son, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He was God the Son, but he didn't say, because I'm God, I want you to do all these things for me. Here are my rights, I'm going to insist on them. In fact, Paul says the opposite happened. He says, rather, he made himself nothing. Now, here's the Bible, Bible nerd word. Here it is. Ready? It's the word kenosis, and it means this. It means an emptying of self, that Jesus emptied himself of what he was due as God the Son. He says, by taking the very nature of a servant, now, if you've ever been put in a position where you were expected to serve other people, it can kind of grate against us, like, man, why am I having to lower myself to serve this other person? 
But what we see in the person of Christ is that he deserved to be worshipped, and yet he put a towel around his waist, and he washed the feet of his disciples. He took on the nature of a servant being made in human likeness. He empties himself. He puts on flesh. John tells us that he, he came and God dwelled amongst us. It's this word like the, he, he built a house amongst us. He tabernacled amongst us. He became human. And this was amazing. This was new. This is the thing that the angels looked at and why they freaked out at Christmas time. Glory to God in the highest peace on earth, they said, because we've only ever known God as high and mighty and big and creating the world by how he speaks and holding it in his hands. But now, but now listen, he's come as a baby. And now he's not just high and transcendent, he is imminent and he is close to humankind. This is amazing. It says, in being found in appearance, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He emptied himself, kenosis, all because God wanted to reconcile with us. Now, I want you to think about that. That's the, that's the concept of the incarnation, but I want you to think about what that would have meant for Jesus, what it took for the morning star to step into our world. It meant that he had to go without some things. In eternity past, he was in the throne room of God, no longer would he have 24-7 angel room service. No longer would he have all of the heavenly creatures falling down and worshiping in, before him. No longer would he have a perfect temperature-controlled throne room filled with light, the glory of heaven, the perfection of all that that means. Instead, he gave that up. He emptied himself. He incarnated himself. And now, he entered into the world through the birth canal of Mary, being born into a stable. Next to him is a cow and like a sheep and a donkey with all of the results of a cow and a sheep and a donkey in a barn. God left that to enter into that. And now he had to depend on his mother to feed him. He had to learn how to walk. <laughs> he had to learn a trade from his dad, which means he had a teacher. And then he had to go to work for his dad. He had to get up in the morning when he physically would have been tired or hungry or sleepy. And now he had to deal with friends that would fail him. He got cold. He got hot. He had to lift heavy things. In other words, he became fully human like we are. And we can't miss that. Jesus emptied himself. And the beauty of that is this for us, guys. We can't miss this. According to the book of Hebrews, it means that Jesus understands what it means to have a demanding boss. It means that Jesus understands what it feels like to have someone mistreat you. So we can follow him. We can follow him. We can apprentice him. And this is what I'd say to you. If you're a person that would say, I don't even know that I believe in the Jesus thing, follow him anyway because he showed up with these disciples who didn't believe in him either and said, come follow me. Model your life after mine because we don't have to ask the question, what if God was one of us? Because God came one of us and he shows us what it means to live and truly be human in all of its glory and all of its challenges. And we can model our life after his. 
It means when Jesus emptied himself, it means that some of the qualities of God that he had in eternity past, he had to choose willingly to set them aside. Now, what do I mean by some of those eternal qualities? Well, there's a couple omnis. So omni means all. There's the idea of the all-powerfulness of God, the omnipotence is the word. And we would believe that when Jesus put on flesh, he still was all-powerful. But there were times where he would say, I'm going to choose to not operate in my power at this moment. So it's kind of like this, right? This is what I used to get my, blue, my, my beauty sleep, right? I can see, but if I put these blinders on, all of a sudden I, I, I can't see. I have willingly chosen to not operate in something I'm actually able to do. So we see that Jesus did that in, even in the area of the omniscience, which means the all-knowingness of God. Jesus even says, hey, someday the Son of Man is going to return, and this, uh, he, that's talking about himself. I'm going to return, and I'm going to bring all things, make all things new and bring in the kingdom of God. He says, but even the angels and myself don't even know when that's going to happen. Only God does. He, he blindfolded himself willingly. But I want you to think about a third category here, and that's the omnipresence of God. The all presence of God. It means that God is spirit, and so he can be everywhere at once. But when Jesus put on flesh, all of a sudden, he was limited to being in one place at one time. He couldn't be everywhere, and he couldn't do everything. This means... This is amazing, guys. You've got to stop and expand your brain. This is hard to think about. It means that God willingly chose to have limits. I remember in seminary, we would ask this question, and students, you might think about this and think deeply about this. They'd say, could God make a rock so big he can't pick it up? And my professor would say, there's lots of things God can't do. God can't break his promises. God can't act outside his own character. And in this case, we see that Jesus chose to put on the limits of being in one place at one time. Now, listen, this is the deal, okay? Because he was physical, it meant he had to embrace his limitations. He wasn't omnipresent. He was unipresent. Now, here's the big deal. If Jesus couldn't be in two places at one time, then neither can you or I. If Jesus, God the Son, can't be in two places at once, that means that I can't be in two places at once. So just like Jesus, we have to learn to embrace that limitation and choose to focus on the things that are most important. Okay, that theology lesson kind of done here. Now, what I want to do is this actually plays out all over the place in the New Testament. I want to think about one particular location where this takes place, and then we're going to kind of break it down. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 1, and the Orange Bibles, this is page 682. Mark chapter 1, as you're turning there, we're going to start in verse 35, but I want to give you a little bit of the setup of what's happening here. So here's what's happening. Jesus decides, after 30 years of, of learning what it means to be fully human, he's obeying his father, he's obeying his mom, he's growing in wisdom and stature and understanding. He turns 30 and he says, I'm going to start my ministry, and he starts proclaiming the kingdom of of God. And as he does that, this is the big deal for the Jews. The Jews had to know, is this person who's claiming to be a prophet, is he actually from God? And so for the Jews, the big deal was this. 
are, is there a, some sort of sign? Is there some sort of indication that this person is from God? So signs and wonders would be done by prophets in order to validate the message. And so Jesus steps in and he starts healing people. People that were lame, people that were blind, people that were possessed by demons, and he would heal them. And so as a result, the news about this guy was spreading, and I understand why. If you have some kind of ongoing physical issue, people wanted to crowd in and be around him. In fact, it got so bad in some instances, he couldn't even get into a house, and they had to cut a hole in the ceiling to drop someone down in there so Jesus could heal him. They were cramming around him, and it tells us at the beginning of this passage we're about to look at that he was teaching in the synagogue. As soon as he got done with that, he gets out, he finds out his friend Peter's mom is sick, he goes and he heals them, and so then all throughout that evening, more and more people come, and their needs are so urgent. They're urgent. They're bringing the sick, they're bringing these people who just desperately needed Jesus. Now listen, if, if in a day I help one of you guys move or someone's having a challenge and I step in and I pray with you and I've never healed anybody, I've, maybe God's healed through that, I don't really know, but we just kind of come along. If I care for you and I take care of you in that day, um, like if I do that once in the day, that's a significant day. If I do that twice, it's like, man, this has been a doozy of a day. Can you imagine what Jesus was experiencing? People just crowding around him with their urgencies. Everywhere he looks. And then let's see what Jesus does in verse 35. He says, very early in the morning, this is Peter that's kind of reporting this to his friend Mark. He says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus gets up, he leaves the house, he goes off to a solitary place where he prayed. And as soon as he does, the disciples go looking for him. And it says, Simon, this is Peter, and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they're like, Jesus, everyone's looking for you. Now, if you're a parent, you probably know what this feels like. It's 4 p.m. This is the hour that my wife and I call the witching hour. You've been with the kids all day long. They're going absolutely bananas. And you're exhausted, and for just one moment, you take a moment to go and use the restroom. And as soon as you're in the restroom, this is what I would hear. Mommy, Daddy. Mommy, Daddy. You know why my kids would call me Mommy, Daddy? They would call me Mommy, Daddy because they're so used to just exclaiming, Mommy, I need this. And then they have this verbal pause of, wait a minute, it's not Mommy, it's Daddy. So I'd be called, I got be called Mommy, Daddy all the time. And I'd have to say, number one, like, we're we're two separate people. You recognize that, don't you? Number two, don't use your mom's name in vain like that. It's not just when you have a complaint. And so they'd knock on the door, Mommy, Daddy, Mommy, Daddy, I need a snack. Mommy, Daddy, they won't let me win at Mario Kart. And I'm like, can I just have a moment to use the restroom? I, I wonder if that's a little bit what Jesus was experiencing here. I'm getting away. I'm trying to spend some time to recharge, to be with God. And the disciples are showing up. And they're saying there's something urgent, Jesus, that you need to attend to. Now, what is the urgent? The urgent is this. This is how it's defined. It, it's a situation re requiring immediate action or an attention. A situation requiring immediate action or attention. How many times in the day do you experience that? Something is urgent. I, I, I can't find my keys. This bill needs to be paid right now. The toilet stopped working. The professor wants my assignment by noon. This situation requires your immediate attention. It's urgent. So how did Jesus 
author of time, how did he interact with the urgent? This is what he does. Verse 38. Jesus replies, let's go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That's why I have come. He would look to his disciples and he would say, guys, I know that what you having to tell, like, I know that's urgent, but now wait for it. Listen to what he does. He says, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to say yes to the urgent because what it means is that I'm going to have to say no to the important. And I'm not willing to do that. The urgent thing was like, look at all these things, Jesus. They're, they're lined up. Jesus is like, I get that, but what's important to me is that I preach the kingdom of God. So as we think about Jesus, he's in one place at one time. He can't do everything. It means that he can't be everywhere. Now he chooses that I have to focus on the most important thing. And if we're going to be like Jesus, we have to live with this principle. We have to prioritize our yeses. Not all needs are created equal. And not everything that the world presents you as urgent needs to have your attention. Dorothy Sayers says that under all of his gentleness, there was a purpose harder than steel. So Jesus says to his disciples, Peter, like I know, I know, I know, I know you want me to heal these people. I care about that. But listen, listen, guys, that's the quick fix. That's the instant dopamine hit. So sure, I care about them. I'm going to heal the leg. I'm going to fix the bleeding, whatever, because I care about them. And I know they need a sign to show you that I'm from God and all that stuff. And I care about you, so I'm going to do that. I'll heal that. But newsflash, guys, they're, they're going to die in the end. Uh, think about this. 100% of the people that Jesus healed went on to die. Healing them is just a band-aid to the bigger problem that they really had. See, the problem wasn't their sickness. The problem was their, their separation from God. The problem was their sin because, listen, the bodies, their bodies, the sickness was only for a few decades, but their souls, that was for eternity. The urgent thing was the sickness, but the important thing to Jesus was their sin, and the only way their sin gets dealt with was by making them right with God. And so Jesus says, hey, let's go somewhere else because what's most important to me is that I would preach the gospel. I would declare what it means to be right with God. I care about their sickness. I sure do. That's urgent, but the most important thing for me is to declare the kingdom. Now, I I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about all the urgent things that press on all of our brains at any particular time, these open loops, these things that we have to get done later today, the urgent things that get our mental attention. But what's really Not urgent, but what's really important in your life? What's important in your life as a mom or as a dad or as a friend? The oil change, is that really the important thing? Or spending time with your closest friends and developing deep relationships, is that the most important thing? Is finishing this last season of your binge-watching show before the subscription expires, is that the most important thing? Or is praying with your kids as you tuck them into bed the most important thing? When you realize, you know what, I 
I can't do everything. I can't be available to do everything. I can't maintain and juggle all of this stuff. It means that I have to embrace this, this limitation and I have to prioritize my yes. Kevin DeYoung, author and pastor, says, the people on this planet who end up doing nothing are those who never realize they couldn't do everything. Those, those people who don't get anything done are those people who are only responding to the urgencies in their life. They're constantly juggling, juggling the balls. They're trying to make it all happen, and then they never stop. They never realize, I can't do all of it. They never focus on the things that are most important. That's the pattern of Christ, to prioritize our yeses, to choose the most important things, and then to structure how we manage our time by what's most important. And it's not just about our work life, it's about our home life as well. I want you to think about the last time that you've had quality time with a friend or with a spouse. You've had to set aside those urgent things in order to prioritize the important things. But here's the problem, though. The urgent things that are in front of us all the time, those notifications of I've got to respond to it, I've got to read it, I've got, oh, look, this new episode just got dropped, I've got to check that out, like, I've got to respond to this email, it just hit me. All of these things, they make us feel important, don't they? I am needed right now. And we want to respond to it because it does something inside of our hearts. Most of these distractions, many of them, make us feel important. And we might complain about receiving 100 emails a day or constantly being interrupted by our team members or having to wade through so many of our Instagram notification. But part of us loves this because it makes us feel needed. It makes us feel important. It makes us feel like we're the hero and the savior of a small corner of our universe. I know this because I can be this guy. And listen, if you ever hear me just like, oh, I've got so many emails to respond to. You have my permission to slap me in the face. <laughs> the other thing is, is when we respond to the urgent things, it's like this quick fix. It's like this dopamine hit. I got to go and I got to check Facebook. It might feel urgent, but it's not. Author Jordan Rayner says, scientists have proven that unpredictable rewards, for example, whether or not there's going to be a new like in your social media feed, actually releases dopamine in our brains, much like smoking or pulling the lever on a slot machine. In kind of a, a characteristic over-the-top monologue, comedian Bill Maher said, let's face it, checking your likes is the new smoking. Philip Morris just wanted your lungs. The app store wants your soul. And by extension, listen, your ability to cultivate deep relationships and even deep work. If we're going to embrace if we're going to embrace our limitations, if we're going to focus on the things that are most important, we also have to learn how to avoid external distractions, just like Jesus did. If Jesus had stayed in that place where everyone was crowding around him, he would have been a slave to the urgent. Now, we're going to talk about this in the next two weeks. What did he do when he was the most pressed? He said, I'm going to get away, and I'm going to spend time with God. I'm going to center in on him. So I say high five to you guys for at least being here on a Sunday morning, centering your souls, reminding yourself about who God is in your life. That is significant and awesome. Jesus had that. The crazier it got for him, the more important it was for him to be with his God. But then he said this. He says, time to go, guys. Time to go. I, I need to leave these urgent things behind. If I, if I let my attention stay there, I'm going to focus on that. I'm not going to focus 
on the important things. Can I just, I want to share a little bit of, of my journey. I have usually a head start because I've been thinking about and reading books. There's so many great books on this topic. I've got them in the app. If you love this stuff, if you love work efficiency and really caring for your time, I, I encourage you to read those books. You know, so many times we think, I'm just so busy. And it's like a gardener looking at their garden saying, I can't believe there are all these weeds in my garden. But you're the gardener. You be the one that takes charge of the weeds that are in your garden and pull them out. As I work through this, God's been working in my heart, and I even confessed to you guys a couple weeks ago that I can be a task-oriented individual, and it means that I'm not always present with the people that are right in front of me. And so God's been working on me in this. And I just want to tell you about a couple things that he's been doing and things that have been helpful for me to eliminate distractions. And it's going to look differently for absolutely every one of us, but this is simply what's been helpful for me. The first thing has been my email, because maybe like many of you, we can tend to live out of our email inboxes. That's how we manage our world. Now, I've seen some of y'all, and you have like 20, 30,000 unread emails. It gives me a seizure when I see those notifications. That's not you, okay? But for me, I'm like a distracted dog. That, that, that email comes in, it's like a squirrel moment. Squirrel! I've got to attend to that. And so it would pull me out of being present with, with people. I'd be in the middle of a pastoral counseling session and my computer would make that ding sound and I'm like, squirrel. And so it really pulled me out of being present. So what I've done, and this comes from a book called The Four-Hour Workweek by Timothy Ferris, is he says just schedule when you're going to check your email. Don't dis disregard it. It's not a legalism thing. You can't have email, but schedule when you do that. So I've turned off a lot of my notifications. I, I just check it at when I start work and then at 2 p.m. And that's when I'll interact with it. And that's been really, really helpful for me. I've turned off e email on my phone. I went to the movies and I had to print out tickets. Because I didn't want to open up my email and get pulled out of moments of being with my family. Because often what would happen is I'd be done with my work day and I'd be outside of my working hours and then all of a sudden I would read this email about this challenge in someone's life and now I'm not, I'm not really home. I'm home but I'm not home. Like my mind, my heart is somewhere else because I'm just getting pulled back into that space. So I've learned to manage my email quite differently. But probably most significant for me has been just as much as possible. This is not a legalism thing. This is just as much as possible to be divorced from my phone, to set it aside. A recent study, this is amazing, found that the average smartphone user touches their phone, guess how many times a day? It says 100. 500, anyone? 500, Sam would be good at this. 500. <laughs> He's an auctioneer. He would knock it aside. This would be great. You just got it. That's right. 2,617 times. And that's across all age groups. Experts say, and that's like old people too, right? They say millennials, the number could be up to twice that amount. And you've experienced that. I used to have a smartwatch on, and I would feel it vibrating, and I would have this instant, like, reaction. I'd feel my, my pocket, and I'd have this instant reaction. It's, it's really, really negative. A, a similar study shows that even being in the same room as your phone, even if they're turned off, will reduce someone's working memory and problem-solving skills. Amazing. In the same room. Yeah, amazing, yeah. I, this last week, I, I talked about the smart, I used to have a smart watch, and it would, 
it would jiggle and I'd, I'd, I'd instantly be brought back into not being present with someone. And this last week, I had a, a meeting with a colleague, no one that goes to this church, and, and they were there with their associate and the whole time his watch was going off. He's checking his phone. And you know what? It just made me feel like he really wasn't there. He was there, but he wasn't there. It didn't make me feel very important. It might made of him, made, maybe made him feel more important, but it didn't make me feel important. So I chose to get the dumbest watch I can possibly get. It tells me the time and the date, and it's wonderful. I don't have to charge it or anything. There's nothing wrong with that stuff. Guys, I don't, there's no legalism here. That's not what I'm saying. This is just what God has done in, in my heart. But the biggest change for me in my routine has been, as I've been studying the life of Jesus, has just been in not having my phone in my room at night. As much as possible. I'll, I'll charge it downstairs in my office, in the kitchen, just away from where I'm at. And you know what my brain told me when I decided to do this? It's only been a couple months. My brain told me this. What if there's an emergency? What if, what if there's an emergency? And I thought to myself, well, hold on a minute. I've had a smartphone like that, I don't know, the last 20 years, since 2007 is when kind of the first smart smartphone came out. And in all of that time, has there ever been an emergency at night where my ability to respond has made some sort of in, in significant impact on the outcome of that? You know how many times there's ever been an emergency? Zero times. Absolutely none. But my mind goes to, what if there's an emergency? And the question is, can I trust God enough to hang that up out of the way? Can I be present with my family, in my own body, in my own heart and my soul, and trust God with that space? I gotta say, it wasn't, it wasn't easy, but by God's grace, I've been growing more and more into that. And in fact, I've, I've extended it beyond just is it present in my room at night, but it's extended to completely putting the phone away on most nights, most nights, I'll just have it from 6 p.m. completely away. For the same reason, because I would pull my heart out of being present with my family. On most nights, that's, that's true for me. You know what the result of all of that has been for me? I've read three times the number of books. I've been more present in conversation and connection with my wife. I'm sleeping better. I'm, I'm praying with my wife in the evenings, which, by the way, did you know that the divorce rate for couples who pray together out loud regularly is 1 in 10,000? Just think about that. Guys, if you're not praying with your wives, you should be. Now listen, you and I are no better than Jesus. Jesus had the limitations in one place at one time. That's why he said to his disciples, it's so good that I'm going to be leaving you. I've always wondered that. Jesus, why did you have to leave? Why couldn't you just stay and make everything happen? Because he could only be in one place at one time. He says, it's good when I leave because then the spirit of God is gonna come and indwell each believer and now you get to have God with you all the time. If Jesus couldn't be in all places at one time, if he couldn't do everything, then neither can you or I, and we shouldn't try to. Embracing our humanity, living in our limits, it frees us up to focus on the things that are most important. So, this social experiment that we started with, of keeping our phones and our smartwatches underneath our chair, how, what did that do to your heart? It's only been 35 minutes. What did that do to your heart? Who was successful? 
I have a small reward. Who is successful? All right, we've got a, a whole row of students over there. There we go. Way to go, Ty. Anyone else successful? Coda had it. All right, who else was? Nathan had it. Here we go. Here's a bunch for all those who got it. Joy had it. There we go. <laughs> Anyone else have it that didn't get a piece of candy? Here we go. There they come. Spread them around. <laughs> who else? Oh, there was a baby. Oh, I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't throw candy in church. All right, who else? Who else had it? You didn't have it? All right, there you go. Coming that way. Well done. Well done. What's that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Here we go. Just for you, Nathan. All right, now listen. That's fun. It's fun to do that. Um, there are so many distractions around us. I, I could have quoted for the last 45 minutes all the research. Everyone lives in a different space. God lived in his limits through Jesus Christ. He didn't try to do everything at once. And I wonder if uh, every week we try to have some sort of application, some sort of challenge that you can step into and embrace this a little bit more deeply, not just on a Sunday, but throughout your week. And I wonder if in this week you would have the courage to step into saying, I'm going to take one of my waking days and I'm going to experience a digital Sabbath. I'm going to take my phone, my watch, my iPad, whatever that thing is, and put it away. And, and I'm going to experience a digital Sabbath. And your mind is going to go, but what if? And can you insert into that space, I don't have to be God because God is. I don't have to always be accessible because God always is accessible. I don't always have to be on it because God is always on it. Can you experience that for maybe a 12-hour block on a Saturday or a Sunday? And you might even think, well, what if Pastor Scott needs to text me on the way into church? I'll get over it. I'll adapt. Would you try that maybe sometime this next week? Even if you don't follow Jesus, listen, this is going to make your life better and make you better at life. Following him will. Giving this a shot will. Can I pray with you, please? And then we're going to spend some time doing a couple other things here in our, our time together. God, thanks for your word. Um, thank you, God, for the example Jesus set for us. Sometimes it's really basic truths that we have to remind ourselves that you are God and that we are not, that we don't need to be seated on the throne, that we don't have to be accessible all the time because you are. Lord, we rejoice that we don't have to finish even our to-do list, that you do that, that you, that you have completed and you will complete everything that needs to be done and we can just rest in your presence. And Lord, we also celebrate the finished work of Jesus Christ as well that because of what he's done, he's made peace between us and you. He incarnated himself. He took on flesh. He became obedient even to death on the cross to free us from that need to be on the throne of our own lives and our own hearts. Lord, today, um, even as we press into these next precious moments of worship, would you ring true with your spirit, um, activate in our hearts just a remembrance of who you are and what you've done for us. God, we praise you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.